Blog Talk Radio. Generations. It is the generation before this generation of madness that is mad. A legacy of insanity gifted to the children of the insane. No passing of discipline or traditions, but rites of guilt, pain, and plagues. A torch of sadness passes. It is the generation of sunshine that has left us sightless as the children of the blind lead us toward the millennium of darkness. The generation of choice has left us no choices as our world turns and we devour ourselves. We stare into the eyes of our children, a brilliant reflection of our image, and we blame them for what we see. happening out there. We got misguided people in this world who turn to violence and use guns and sometimes innocent people like you and me get caught in the middle of it. Well, what's wrong with them? Baby, I don't know. They need change in their lives.
listening to Black Wall Street USA for Thursday, October 21st, 2010. I'm Sonia Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network.com and author of America, Black America, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions, book one, 2010, now available on Amazon.com. Our host this evening is Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, who is also the publisher and editor of South Street Journal for more than 16 years and presently a candidate for Alderman of the 17th Ward, and he will be joining us shortly. Black Wall Street USA is the official broadcast of Black Wall Street National, and we've been on the air since December. We are holding steadfast in our efforts to sustain and increase black businesses across the nation, and you're going to see a lot of upcoming events and programs through Black Wall Street and Black Wall Street National, so watch our website. The websites are blackwallstreetdistrict.com and blackwallstreetchicago.org. We are here every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. right here at www.blogtalkradio.com slash CBBN. You may also listen to a rebroadcast of CBBN on Blog Talk Radio on wjpcchicago.com. This show will be rebroadcast from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on Saturday mornings. Our call-in number is 347-326-9477, 347-326-9477. The chat room is open. Leave your company information, contact information, and website links in the chat room. Press the number one if you would like to speak to one of our guests or if you have a comment. We opened uh, as we started the past couple of weeks with a poem from my first book called Generations. And the song that you heard at the top of the show was Kosha Common Ground. Uh, we've been playing this show since uh, we started, and I'm not quite sure what's going on with blog talk and the music. We had a little um, technical difficulty last week with the music, and it's a repeat. I understand if you listen to the show on your media player, which I have done, that it's much clearer, but I'm going to have to check that out as to what's going on with the static in the music. But Kosha, uh, you can visit our website at www.conclusion, K-O-N-C-L-U-S-I-O-N.com. Last week, Ron Carter and I sort of interviewed each other, and you can listen to that show and all of our shows since December in our archives here uh, on Blog Talk Radio. Before we bring our hosts on the airways, I'd like to make a few announcements about upcoming events for Black Wall Street Chicago and CBBN. And we also want you to know that we can assist you with the promotion of your events right here on our show. Uh, we have some great marketing tools for you. You can submit an MP3 commercial for play right here on our show, and it will also uh, be played on WJBC Chicago. And it stays in our archives, and every time someone hits that show, they will hear your commercial. We can make arrangements for your advertising in the South Street Journal. We can also provide marketing, a marketing package that includes both of those things, as well as a 12,000-piece event email blast, plus marketing to over 600 of our members on Chicago's BlackBusinessNetwork.com. You can contact me at 312-239-8835, and we'll, happy, we'll be happy to sit down with you and design a marketing package for your business that is designed to take you to the next level of success. So you can call me at 312-239-8835, or you can call South Street Journal at 312-624-8351. 
312-624-8351. want to share a couple of more things with you. We have a new show premiering on November 1st, Monday, November 1st. Check out Chicago Will Air uh, with Keisha and Ken, food, art, music, and entertainment updates and fashion from across Chicago. I listened to a test show that Keisha and Ken did last week, and I told them I was going to have to listen to that show. They're hilarious. It was really really hilarious just listening to them going back and forth. Uh, It's going to be a great show as they move around Chicago and look at different venues, uh, look at people and what people are doing in fashion, uh, bring some artists to the air. They're both involved in the art world, music, and entertainment. So check out. Chicago, right here on Monday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. And that's starting November the 1st. And you can watch our blog talk show page for details. You'll find Keisha and Ken on Facebook and, of course, on CBBN. Also, Bronzeville Theater presents A Racing in the Sun, directed by Audrey Morgan. That's going to start on November 12th. It would also um, be playing on the 18th and the 20th at the Jacob Carruthers Center, located at 700 East Oakwood here in Chicago. Watch our show page for details. You can also visit www.bronzevilletheater.org for more information, and we'll make that announcement again later in the show. Black Wall Street Chicago is really getting busy. Now, next, Black Wall Street Chicago wants to invite you to join them for their welcome reception for the Economic Summit uh, 13. Before every summit, there is a welcome reception, a meet and greet. It's a fundraiser. Everybody comes out, and we get prepared to uh, It's the more more relaxed part uh, as we prepare to get down to business for Summit 13. That's going to be held Friday, November 5th, at the offices of the South Street Journal, located at 449 East 35th Street in Chicago. That event will be from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., and you can call 312-239-8835 for more information or stop by the office. Uh, That number again is 312-239-8835. Next on Saturday, December 4th, Black Wall Street will then host this 13th Economic Summit at Prince Hall Masonic Temple, located at 809 East 42nd Place in Chicago. And that's an all-day event from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And we will serve a continental breakfast and a light lunch. You can also uh, call, same number, 312-239-8835 for more information. Your purchase ticket for the welcome reception and for that event is a raffle ticket, and we're going to be giving away 25 door prizes on that Saturday. So we want you to come out and be a part of all that we do. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA, and uh, we're going to speak to listeners from across the country to discuss their issues and concerns surrounding our community. Our call-in number is 347-326-9477. The chat room is open. Please press the number one if you'd like to speak to our guests, if you want to come on the air, or if you have any questions. Let's talk a little bit about tonight's show, Black Wall Street USA Meets the New Age of Comics. Although those who call in tonight will be able to tell you much more uh, about the art world than I can, absolutely, 
about black artists, illustrators, graphic novelists, those who work in the field of animation and design clothing. Uh, we hope that Tutil Only can call in tonight. Tutil Only is the owner of Only Studios, and he is the producer of the oldest annual Black Age of Comics convention in the USA. As a creator uh, himself of graphic novels, comics, and other related intellectual properties, Tutel has worked for organizations such as Motown and Playboy. He hosted Black Age 13. This was his 13th convention. Bet you didn't know that, people. Last weekend over at Kenwood Academy, and uh, went through there last weekend picking up cards, purchasing some comic books, and uh, invited some of the artists and writers to uh, tell us more about the industry and about their uh, business visions. Uh, Chatel's schedule is very tight. He does teach also, so we are hoping that he will call in this evening. Um, When I attended the convention last week, uh, I knew that there were black comics. I knew Chatel had a series. Uh, He's had that series about maybe five years, I think, maybe he's had that series of black comics. And uh, we did give some away at the summit in February in our goodie bags. And you never see adults so excited about comic books. They did not know that that series existed. So in looking at that convention, that there's, there's a lot that we probably don't know about what goes on in that industry and how blacks are involved in that industry uh, I met people who contract for uh, comic book companies such as Marvel. Uh, I can tell you which characters they draw, but I know that under contract that Marvel will send them uh, a description of the type of character that they're looking for, and they will bring that character to life, and they're under contract to do that. So that, I had some interesting conversations out there Uh about that graphic novels I've never read a graphic novel in my life but they are some thick graphic novels out there thick storybooks and I hope that's the right term that I'm using and hopefully we will have some of them calling in this evening and explaining a little bit more about that industry now uh, let's go and welcome our host Mr. Ron Carter to the show welcome to the show Mr. Carter how you doing, Sonia? Thank you very much. Glad to be back with you again, even though I was with you today and yesterday. For some reason, it still feels good and great to be here with you today. I appreciate this opportunity that you're providing not only me, but the other uh, listeners of Black Wall Street and the uh, Chicago's Black Business Network. And as you say, uh, what's the term? Um uh, opening it up to the world. How did, how's the uh, the theme go? Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, opening up to the world. Yeah, open up the world. That's that's great because that's what we do. We talk to people all over the country, and uh, you forgot the theme. We sit. Uh, don't don't ask me why I'm over here messing with But anyway, <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on with my music. But anyway, you caught me off guard. But that's why that's all right. That's all right. We're gonna jump on back. But um, what uh, you're an artist, 
to. How yeah. much do you know about the black comic book industry? I mean, were you familiar with that industry? Well, you know, um, I've been, uh, I guess, yeah, an artist since I was maybe about six years old. And the first thing a youngster do when they start doing art is cartoons. That's the first thing you are taught how to do a cartoon. And there is a real intense story, uh, even though I do, I'm not an artist professionally, but I do have the sense of the uh, of art. I do have the the feel. I know what it feels like when you get into your art. Uh, I know the storyline. I, I know how an artist is able to capture their thoughts and how they sometimes maybe want to do their art for themselves or they may want to do it for the general public. But I believe that for the most part you, you're doing it for yourself. You're doing it for what's within you. And if the general public accept it, that's fine. And if they keep accepting it, you may can go commercial. But even if you go commercial with your art, you still have your inner uh, self that's telling that story, whether it is a uh, portrait or even a uh, comic, uh, cartoony. It's still a story uh, within your own thoughts that you are expressing. So, yes, yeah, starting off as a, a child doing cartoons and you continue to do cartoons, um, you know, all the way up where I continued all the way up until high school and then I started kind of making some form to the cartoons to get more realistic about it. But that's the beginning for all. And I think that for those that continue uh in in the form of of cartoons per se, they definitely master it. I can't say that I somewhat kind of envy those that have continued uh, their uh, cartoon like uh, art ability. Um, and I'm looking at some of their cartoons where they're more formed. The the, the language of the body is really portrayed when they do it. As a matter of fact, even when I do it, I still, I am more of a uh, a figure drawer. You know, I like to draw the body figure. And when you're drawing the body figure, you definitely want to get in details. It's almost like every part of the body tells a story. Uh, the, the, the body itself uh, gives body signs, gives gestures of, the, the portrait of the of the subject that you join. So I think that this is really a, a great subject for me. I did not think a, a great deal when, you know, you came up with this here subject for tonight, uh, but it is something that I can relate to, and um, I am ready and ready to roll with this one because I can definitely, it's almost like more than I would get into politics. I can give me a chance to get right into that artistic uh, frame of mind. So good show, good show. I like it, Sonia. You, your creativity is coming through your thoughts as well, huh? Absolutely, uh, in different ways. Uh, quite challenged over here at Black Wall Street, and and that's and that's a great thing. Um, 
to have that challenge and by being challenged and I'm sure that you know the listeners know and that you know you get to express although I'm not expressing myself artistically in a certain way I am uh, when I'm presented with certain projects or step into certain projects or create events that is a, a creation right. um, and, and it is a challenge so I, I do get to do that, uh, not artistically or maybe artistically, and I do uh, bring it from my thoughts and do have a final result. So I like, I like, I do enjoy the challenge. Uh, each, although I, you know, I'm kind of a complainer a little bit. It doesn't appear that I do enjoy it, <laughs> but that's mm-hmm. how I think through my process. But I do right. enjoy it. I do enjoy mm-hmm. it. Well, you know, yeah. it's one of those things as, uh, you know, sometimes uh, being an artist, you you know, I would sometimes take for granted what I do. Uh, many times people will look at my artwork and they say that, wow, you got a gift. You, you know, this is something, wow, look what God has given you. And as you into it, you don't always think that it's a gift that you do. It's something that you just do, and uh, then you always remind it uh, by people to say it's a it's a gift. So sometimes maybe artists kind of take advantage of something, or don't take full advantage, or don't realize that it's a gift. Like me, I, I hear that all the time. You got a gift. I don't look at it as a totally a gift, but then again, I do accept what people say regarding my art. And so uh, I believe more like an artist is one that will just kind of do what they do. It's almost like Sonia doing what she do with the uh, Chicago's uh, Black Business Network. Uh, is it a gift? that you have or is it something you just do and how uh but one good thing about it is how people appreciate what you do and so what we have to do is to um you know enjoy the art and as we enjoy the art that we do we do accept people um compliments uh but for me it's more like thank you uh, but I do know how I began in art. I know I sometimes people make the remarks, say, I wish I could draw like that. But then I say, you can draw like that. You know, it is more of a feel that you get, but I believe that everybody can do it, but you definitely have to feel it when you do it. I cannot do it all the time. Somebody can say, draw this, do that, and maybe I can't even do it. But when the feeling gets to me and when I get in that spirit, I just go for it. And I cannot always prepare myself. But I believe that those that uh, do it professionally, I believe that they are more disciplined in getting the work done. It's almost like when we do our graphic layout uh when we're doing our promotions for our meetings and we engage people with a uh, good layout to pay attention to coming to an event that is some form of graphic layout as well 
But then for the comic, you know, I still want to look at how they are able to give every point of the body an expression as one look at it and review it. Because, see, when you look at a, a, a comic, you have to go from, you look at every piece. As a matter of fact, some of them even make the toes be moving in still motion. So that's part of the whole motion of of doing that art. So I think it's good that uh, they are focused in it and they are focused on how they are to um, get their artistic ability to be expressive. You know, so it's an ongoing uh, uh, focus here uh, with the art and um, how you train yourself, uh, which many of those comics do, train themselves in how they're going to actually make money about it <laughs> and be disciplined in how they're going to be money about it. There's that old saying about the starving artist who's, you know, I'm not going to be no starving artist, but then there are some that's not focused on being a starving artist. They are focused on the art and they are disciplined to just get into what they do. So it can go back to just a gift, or it can be so, the so discipline. So you're saying you're not a trained artist? You didn't you didn't take classes? You did you go to school for that? Uh, no, no school, no training. Uh, but I can say that when I was in, uh, ooh, what, what was that? I think I was maybe about in fourth grade or fifth grade. Uh, you know, I was one of those kids that uh, when it's time to do your assignments, I was doodling on a piece of paper, and the teacher had to say, stop that and do your work. And so the teacher walked away, and I'd get back doodling again. And so from there, I got good. I started going around from class to class, doing bulletin boards and things of that nature. And then one teacher, uh, um, they gave me a scholarship to the, Art Museum of uh, Chicago downtown. I said, yeah, okay, fine. But I went there, and I was maybe about 12, 11 years old. It was more like for a summer program. There is a difference. You know, this is the first time I was in a class with white students. You know, I was the only black kid in the class, and it was a class of about 20. And every time the instructor says, draw this, I'm always drawing something opposite of the white kids. That was really my first, uh, um, hmm, I guess my clue is saying that I have a different culture. And so I realized about culture at that particular age, not being able to, uh, follow the lead of the instructor, not by saying I'm just going to do different, but because there was a cultural difference. Uh, the, the, the instructor says, draw something violent, draw something uh, real violent. Um, so the white kids drew a picture of monsters and Godzilla and all that. I drew a picture of Muhammad Ali beating up Sonny Liston. And then the instructor said, that ain't what I'm talking about. You're doing it wrong. But that was a cultural identification that was happening with me. 
you know, I was identifying with the violence of Muhammad Ali or at that time Cassius Clay and uh, Sonny Liston, where the other uh, students, their minds were someplace else. So um, it's a matter of cultural identity that also enhances one's um, uh, artistic ability. Why do uh, people draw what they experience? People draw what they have, uh, what they see, uh, just like somebody thought to draw Jesus Christ looking like a white man. I don't know where he get that picture from, but he drew based on his own experience, his own culture, and what they wanted to project. Uh, so uh, that is part of a lot of artistic understanding of oneself and also how the general public reviews one art. So I don't know. I'm rubbing it off at the mouth on art. Yes, I'm an artist, so yes, I get into it. But yeah, and that's we do great, have and that's to. Fun. Yeah, so we do have to uh, uh, at times appreciate the the artistic value of maybe someone that do it for their own free will, and then those are you know the comics you know that put their soul into maybe first. Matter of fact, once we get one on the air, is they focusing more and what their own expressions are, or how do they divide it with uh, selling their art? Is that the first priority of selling one's art, or is it a matter of expressing one's own image and hopefully that the people will buy their art? You know, there was a, uh, what was this, a, uh, I think it was a, uh, uh What's this guy? You see, I'm not even in the hip hop world. Uh, West. What's the brother name from Chicago? Ken West. Ken West. Yeah. That's Ken West here in Chicago. Know. Yeah. That's it. Yes. Okay. He have an album cover now, and his album cover is somewhat of a comic, where it is a black man nude his new body, and his face looks like a monster. But on top of his body is a nude white woman with no arms and wings. And she got somewhat of a monster-looking face. And so the Kmart and, and uh, Best Buy, they banded that album cover because of its artistic uh, view. Now, there mm. was questions whether that album cover should be banned, regardless of the music. Um, I somewhat identify with Mr. West because I like nude photographs, not nude photographs, nude artwork. Uh, but I do hold back on some of the nudity because of maybe the general public perception, uh, even with my um, my children. Uh, my children was, um, when they got of age to kind of look at the type of artwork that I did, 
I had to stop doing, drawing nudity until they got of age. And then I had a stepdaughter. Uh, I thought I was going to get right back into my nudity, but she was too young. So I had to hold back. So Mr. West, as he held this album of um, a nude black man monster with a nude white woman monster face on top of him, is that art or is that, uh, what's the other word, uh, pornography being presented to the uh, the public the same way the with some public. comics. Yeah, I mean, some comics, is, their, their art is sometimes can be, uh, their comics can be kind of violent. Uh, is violence more acceptable than nudity? Is art is, is still art, but how do we draw that line? What's the judging line there? It appear it appears more accepted accepted than nudity. The comics are nude. The cartoons, I mean, the cartoons and the comics are violent. They haven't stopped selling them to children. So what is more acceptable to the general public, violence or nudity? Violence. Violence. So nudity is wrong, but violence is not wrong. Seems perfectly fine. Pardon? Because every every comic book is a is a uh, a battle a, a a battle of good and evil, uh, conqueror and conquerors. Uh, He's a Jaws mutation, a super, a super uh, hero. Well, he's not the hero; he is the villain. But a super uh, character that's a shark. Um, here's one conquerors and conquer, conqueror and conquerors. Attack of the super serial killer, and I saw that first. Attack of the super serial killer. You have a super serial killer that's a cartoon carrier character, and now, how violent can you get with that? So this is a dollar fifty comic book. Now, what they selling? All these dead people laying all over on the front of this comic book. Mm-hmm. He has a dagger about to stab the superhero. So mm-hmm. How violent? I mean, how much more violent do you get with that? And that's the cover mm-hmm. of this of this dollar fifty book. Uh-oh. Well, we definitely want to try to hopefully that one of our uh, comments come in because I would like to kind of definitely ask them that question. I mean, they are selling their comics. Uh, is that their frame of thinking, or are they doing it for the commercialism of their art, or you know, what's the difference between them? Uh, doing it because that's what they feel, that's what their impression is to do it, or are they looking to just what the market will bear? But weren't all comic books violent? I mean, maybe not to this degree. I mean, oh, your when child, I remember, I, remember. I forgot this uh, comic some time ago. Uh, ooh, it was a long time ago. Uh, oh, buddy, I forgot. It was these teenage uh, uh, comic books. Mm. Yeah, it was teenage comic books. And, they, you know, they talked about uh, the comics was about 
teenage life. Uh, I've definitely forgot the name of them, but they were just regular life type of comic books. Uh, And comic books such as Dick Tracy, you know, it did not have all the violence, but it had that storyline. And uh, I think that sometimes... It helped people to read, where well, youth to read, because the comics was interesting, you know, per se. Um, so yeah, the, the the question of doing your art for commercialism, or is that exactly how they look at it? I can't admit that when I was younger, I did do uh, the violent um, comics at one time, um, the fighting. But I never got into the the monsters per se. I tried to get into the monsters only because of uh, uh, that was what you know people was requesting. But if you look in the, uh, you probably didn't notice this in the office, uh, Sonia. Did you know I have a monster art on the wall in South Street Journal office? I know you have one in your office. But oh, did you, you have, did you notice, that did you notice one in the main office that there's somewhere with a little monster? No, you did not. Every time I look around, there's another one up there. Now I know there is one that could look like a sewer. <laughs> well, it is. Some of them work there. <laughs> and then I walk in and look around. There's something else up there. But I know one that looks like he, he could be a. Uh, I don't know if they call these superhero characters. I'm not sure what the right word was. The one, the one with the shining eyes, um, that's all black with the light in his eyes. Now that looks like one of the characters from one of these books. Are you talking about some so, of my artwork? Yeah, the one with the orange background. He's all black, and he's got light. Light look like lights coming out of his eyes. You know, remember that one? <laughs> now, I saw that one up on wow. <laughs> Is that one of my art pieces? You With put light it up coming out of his eyes? Yeah, his eyes are real bright. He has no eyes, but it's yellow. His eyes are yellow where his eyes are supposed to be in his light. Yeah, you painted. <laughs> and, it hasn't been up, and it hasn't been up there that long. Oh, 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 I know what you're talking about. I know what you're now, talking about. Now, what is about. that? What That's is that? just doing something. <laughs> oh, is that what that is? Okay. You're just doing something. But now, I don't know right. the monster. I got, I got to go back up there and look at the monster now. You listen to Black Wall Street USA with Ryan Carter and Sonia Purdue. We're waiting for somebody to call in if you're listening. You know they're always on the line listening. Uh, I, I ran into Bruce Todd at an event this week. He said, I listened to you all last week. I said, oh, you did, but you didn't call. <laughs> no, I was just listening. <laughs> oh, yeah. Matter of fact, um, I get that all the time. I get that all the time. And they say, yeah, I heard what you said. You said blah, 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 blah. I said, what are you referring to? I heard you. I heard you. Just, you know, I just know it. And then I had to be quizzed to say, where did you hear me say that? On the blog radio. I said, oh, okay, yeah. So I know they're listening. That's okay. That's okay. That's good. You know? But I believe that that, that that artistic ability of comics, uh, 
I'm not a comic per se, uh, but I can do comic work. I believe that those that do it uh, definitely must have some type of mission. But, again, I do raise the issue uh, if it's for their own uh, gratification that so happens to be for commercial use or is their target strictly for commercial use and then when they're at home, they're doing their own personal thing. They're drawing flowers and trees and landscape, but then for the public, they are drawing these mighty type of uh, characters of uh, uh, villains and superheroes. Um, I'm going to have to uh, inquire about that, see exactly how people really uh, uh, um, project themselves in doing their art. No. Okay. So yeah, I, I do. Did, I did notice one thing on the back of each of these comic books. Um, the digital printing company printed all of these, uh, and they're all all three of these comics that I purchased are black comics. They got black superheroes on the front, but they got a white girl on the back with red hair. Uh, the printing, and I asked them, well, who is that on the back? I thought maybe, the first one I saw, I thought maybe she was one of the characters in the book um, because of the way they, they have her illustrated. But the printing company uh, mm-hmm. printed all of these. Uh, it's Kabam Digital mm-hmm. Printing, and they got this blue-eyed, red-haired, White girl on the back of all of these black comics. Interesting. Um, you listen to Black Wall Street USA, uh, which is the need for a black printing company. But I'm going to tell you one thing about the comics, and then we can talk about the Black Wall Street events until someone calls in. I do find them very sexist, however you want to define them, because somebody's always rescuing us. The shock at the woman. In a mouth, in his mouth. Of course, she has a bikini on. Some man coming to rescue her. Uh, the women, and I guess maybe they do that in comics when they're uh, drawing women. They emphasize it, really overemphasizing everything. But I guess that's interesting to young men who read and buy comics. Um, but well, as far as the, uh, the, the 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 woman in, in distress or the woman that must be saved type of sexist type woman, of art, is the, that what you're referring the women, to? The women in the book and the women in distress, they very emphasized. I saw a lot of, uh, and I don't have those, I saw a lot of comic books and a lot of illustrations uh, with women very, and I don't know if that was directed towards adults who read comic books or Children who read comic books, uh, the way the women are portrayed in the tight, skippy clothing, the breasts just. Well, it was a woman there who was an illustrator, and her mm-hmm. women that she illustrated were very sexual, with the biggest breasts you ever saw in your life. And I don't even mm-hmm. know what that was about either. But it was a woman. That was a woman illustrator. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if, if that's to appeal to adults. Who read comic books or children who read comic books? I just that I, that's just a part of what I'm saying. But it is sexist because still in these books, two of them, uh, 
the superhero male, but the, but they got super you know hero women too. The superhero man is coming to rescue the poor, defenseless, half naked, big breast woman. Right. And I guess that's well, how the world works, huh? But well, uh, oh, that's I think that yeah, it has been a a pattern. I can even remember uh, when I was a child looking at comics. Uh, there, the the female body was always formed to show her uh, her figure in uh, in a sexist way, uh, even to the point of uh, making sure that the uh, the breasts are formed within the clothing, uh, even showing the. Uh, uh, the, the vagina to a certain degree when the woman have on pants. Uh, so I remember that part even, you know, as a, a, a young preteen uh, looking at comics, that that was the norm. And maybe that norm is a reflection of the general media, media as well in that it has helped continue to be a pattern. I cannot remember no comic that I can recall, uh, well, except um, maybe on TV now, uh, The Simpsons. They're not that sexist, <laughs> but they're not the uh, the violent type of uh, uh, movie, but I mean, movie, uh, uh, comic uh, strip on TV, but they are uh, ones that you know the the visual comic books they do stress the sexuality of their drawings. Um, uh, maybe that is the norm of the public um, expression. I'm not for sure. I mean, even for me, when I draw uh, females, um, as I said earlier, I tend to be very um, detail and naturally at home I have more detail that's not in the office. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. But there is what so maybe things uh don't change and remain the same from the look of these books. But there is one book here, Ajala, which is a teenage superhero in development. Mm-hmm. Um in development what thought, that means. She's in training. Okay. Oh, I shouldn't have put it that way. She's in training to become uh, a superhero and a secret agent in the high school. She's taking taking it back block by block. So that was, that's a good storyline. I like, I like his uh, stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's, she's in training. So I like that. You listen to Black Wall Street USA. Uh, this is Rod Carter and Sonya Purdue. We're waiting for you all to call out in. I see you out there listening on the line. So call in at 347-326-9477. I did have some say that they will call in a little bit later, so we'll hold on for them. Let's talk about Black Wall Street a little bit, Ron. Now, uh, the first event, for those who have never been to a Black Wall Street Summit, is the uh, the first part is the welcome reception. I think you have some more events coming on that I may coming up that I may not have mentioned. Uh, but the first, and we'll just go in order. The first event is the welcome reception. 
which will be at the offices of South Street Journal, 449 East 35th Street, and that's uh, just in a couple of weeks, uh, November Mm -hmm. the 5th, Friday, coming up. Mm -hmm. So we want you to come over for that. What can we expect at the welcome reception, Ron? Well, something that we have not done in full force was to is to honor those individuals that helped form Black Wall Street in the beginning. Uh, there's approximately about 15 individuals that uh, sat at the table and brainstormed what this concept of an organization is to be. And they sat around and they brainstormed and they brainstormed until they came up with the focus of uh, uh, the Black Wall Street. So at this year particular uh, reception on November the 4th, we want to honor those people. We want to, uh, November the 5th, right? Yes, November the 5th. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so we want to honor those individuals. We're also going to have uh, uh, a little more honor of two other. There's maybe about ten of those that we're looking for being present. And then there is the the, the uniqueness of two uh, black businesses that we want to focus on. One is uh, Clinton Love. He have a chain of restaurants called Quince. And so he's going to be with us on November the 5th. But not only is the focus on his entrepreneurship and to be focused in building black businesses, he also has spreaded his wings to have a grocery store uh, right a, a half a block west on 95th Street off of uh, King Drive. So we want to focus on him and his entrepreneurship drive, what made him to stay focused, and what made him to spread his wings beyond just having a restaurant and fast food type of operations, but actually have a grocery store. So we want to look at him, look at what he's done, what is his future, uh, what is he's projecting, and then the other uh, unique guest we're going to have is uh, Minister Sachs uh, Preacher, uh, uh, Rahim Atan. And he has a store as well, and it's called Everything Black, where everything in his store uh, of the Temple of Mercy Association is black products. Uh, they definitely have a laundry detergent that is very unique. I'm a guy. I don't really get into laundry detergents. I just pour it in and let it wash. But uh, their particular laundry detergent, uh, it is concentrated with a lot of power. I think it costs close to around about $10 for a container, but one little cap take care of a load full and uh, I didn't think nothing about it, but some sisters brought it to my attention, and they said, this stuff is the bomb. This stuff really works. Get your, uh, uh, your clothing extra clean with just a little bit of that concentration. So he have those products, uh, the laundry detergent, and anything that's in his store is products that was manufactured 
produce and our black-owned products. So we want to pay close attention to him on November the 5th. And naturally, we're going to have our uh, our high-spirited reception with a lot of people coming, um, giving their orientation on who they are, what they are. And yes, we're going to have the food. And, yes, we're going to have the spirits to engage in as well. Uh, so we always have some nice, good receptions right before the summit. Yes, it is a fundraiser, uh, but we welcome the camaraderie of our fellow associates to be with us on that night to really celebrate our 14th summit. Uh, sometimes when we say the 14th, it, it makes you feel like it's years, but it's every three months. So every three months since our beginning of January, uh, I'm sorry, of um, May 19, 2007, to this date we have had a summit every three months, except for maybe about one point of history that we skipped one. Uh, but we have been consistent in having our accountability to our issues and to what we say we're going to do opposed to what we do and also enhance what we need based on these summits are a report. And uh, so it's going to be pretty good. And then, you know, we're supposed to always so have a little greet of uh, the new chairman. Is that still on the agenda, Sonia? That's on the agenda, but it's on the agenda for the summit in December, on December the 4th. Mm-hmm. Um, we should be greeting the new chairman of Black Wall Street then, um, well, unless you change your mind. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. As you stated uh, earlier, oh, this no? is one Black Wall Street member that's getting ready to be the first uh, Black Wall Street elected official. Uh, In the nation. In the nation. nation. We we will be the only elected, we will be the only black Wall Street that have one of our members to carry the black Wall Street agenda to the city council. And that is desperately needed because what we have is uh, 10 black Wall Street districts that is in formation around Chicago. So, yeah, we need a representation in city council to look at that legislative agenda as it relates to our black wall street so yeah we're we're moving we are making a a new step there is a fine line between politics and a non-profit organization but that fine line don't count here on chicago's black wall street network we got that (laughs) i get that all right. <laughs> Listen to Black Wall Street USA. Now, Ron, tell me it ain't true. Tell me it ain't true. There's only one black grocery store in Chicago? There's only one what? Black grocery store. No, there is two. There, and I think that uh, we, the other one is a small storefront. The one that, um, uh, Quentin Love has is a little bit bigger, but
but there's one on, I believe it's 92nd and Ashland. Ah, uh, uh, let me go back. Now, look, we we really going to have to deal with this, Miss Noma. There's another grocery store on the corner of 87th and Racine. It's called Tiffany's. Uh, if some people from Chicago can remember a few years back, uh, Tiffany is the daughter of Sam. Sam have the uh, the. There's only two beauty supply places in Chicago, and Sam's is across the street on 87th and uh, Racine. His daughter was in the grocery store across the street. Some guy came in and robbed the place and shot and killed her. And at that time, uh, Sam named the place after his daughter. So the store is called Tiffany. It's a small store, but it's a store. And, you know, when we start saying, well, we don't have no black stores, yes, we do. And I think that that's a part of the agenda of Black Wall Street is not so much of complaining about what we don't have, is promoting what we do have. So we do have that uh, corner store. I believe I can't give the exact block, but I know it's somewhere approximately about uh, 92nd in Ashland. It's a corner store, the same way Tiffany's on 87th Racine is a corner store. Then we got Quentin's uh, on right off of the corner of 95th and King Drive. Um, so, and I take that back. We have another one on the west side on Madison Street. It's approximately around uh, Madison and California. So, what I know of, there are four grocery stores in Chicago, uh, black grocery stores in Chicago. Uh, not just one, but there's four. It just so happens they are small corner stores, but they are operated, and they are black-owned. And there can be others. Uh, and it just so happens that these small corner stores are not being paid attention as they should. So I guess that's one initiative that us at Black Wall Street or maybe uh, Dr. Webb Evans going to have to pay a little bit more close attention to. Mm-hmm. Well, that there I are black stores that, uh, in Chicago. Pardon? The Mercy of Temple did a, um, I guess you can call it an outreach to the store on 95th, where they concentrated uh, on bringing people into that store, uh, like on a Saturday afternoon at one. Just put a lot of energy in there. Let's get people into that store. Let's know. Let you know. Let people know about it. Uh, let's go in and make a difference. Because you go in and, mm-hmm. and you patronize, and you can make certainly make a difference for that day, and hopefully that will continue. Um, now, yes, I do agree with you that yes, we do need to emphasize. We need to, we need to discuss what is not here, so that we we'll know what we need to create, which is not an issue at all because we need so many things. Everything needs to be done, but yes, we do need to concentrate on what is there, and I think part of um, when we were asked in one of the meetings why is uh why was Quentin Love invited to speak 
Well, because he, and my response, and this is my still my response, because he's an example and a success story of sustaining and increasing black businesses. If he has six uh, restaurants and cafes in the community, and now he has a grocery store, he needs to share his experience with us uh, so that we know that, yes, this is how I did it. This is how you can do it. And that's one reason why he's a presenter. So he well, can you know, bring he has forth an proven, example of success. Right. Yeah, well, he has proven to do that based on how I did it, and this is how you can do it. Because in his organization, the I Love Food Group, he has brought other food entrepreneurs under his banner of the I Love Food Group and he had worked with them in developing their business, giving them some tricks of the trade of running a restaurant, uh, helping them in their marketing strategies and things of that nature. And I'm pretty sure upon him starting this grocery store, as small as it may be compared to a Jewel Food or a Dominic's, I am sure that he's on that same track of, this is how I did it, and this is how you can do it. Because he is that type of entrepreneur that don't hold no secrets on this is how I did it. And those that are interested in it, um, he will definitely be working with them. Uh, so he is that type of individual, and we do need to hear from him. We do need to be encouraged by him. We do need to feel his presence and support his presence so that we can take advantage of the growth that he contributes to the black economic agenda. Absolutely. You listen to Black Wall Street USA with Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, publisher and editor of South Street Journal, and candidate for aldermen for the 17th Ward, the future alderman over there. And I'm Sonia Purdue, Chicago's Black Business Network.com. And I spoke to a lady, a lady called, I guess she had heard about Black Wall Street and she wanted some more information. And I told her of the importance of her being here at the reception. Uh, she's opening up a pastry shop out in University Park. I said, well, Quentin Love will be speaking. Um, it probably will be a great opportunity for you to set up a little pastry table for sample uh, that evening. Uh, he has a grocery store, and what he does, I'm sure, is look for products to fit into his store. Um, oh, yeah. I put that out there to her, and I'm hoping that she understands the purpose of that uh, and how. See, sometimes I think, you know, in my conversation with her, sometimes I think we have a, a disconnect as to how we get to marketing our businesses and that there's more than one way. Sure, you could go to Quentin Love's website and send him an email and say, I got this product and I'd like to come by and put it in your store. But visually, and a better sales technique would be to be here that evening, set out your samples, and have people express what they feel about it and what they buy it, and that's the greatest selling point. Uh, it's hard. That's, that would get more attention from putting Love or anyone else who has a shop or store or who's having an event than calling someone up on the phone and telling them that. But sometimes we have that disconnect about marketing, and uh, sometimes they look at the money, and I, I know it was a money issue for her because she's having an event on November the 7th. Well, it's hard for me to make any more, do any more, 
but you might be missing an opportunity that, because Quentin Love may not be out at your store, <laughs> but he will be here that night. And I was trying to make the connection for her. Well, I understand what you're saying, but you may be missing an opportunity that you won't get again to uh, speak to someone who has a grocery store that may or may not purchase your pastries. See what I'm saying? Right. But um, mm-hmm. that's well, something there, there's that the we have to get through also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Temple of Mercy um, um, minister, uh, a, a time, uh, I say his name correctly, I call him sex preacher all the time. I call him Minister Rahim, a time Rahim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, okay, well, he, there may be an opportunity for her to help her products at his particular store as well, because that's what he, you know, that's why he called himself it his store, everything black. So that definitely may be a way that we can introduce his uh her products to him as well. So she definitely need to be here and to see what type of networking to help put that product uh at the uh everything black store. Absolutely. And uh that's what we do at Black Wall Street. That's what we do at Chicago's Black Business Network dot com. We try and uh you don't make that connection. That's what it's about. And you don't make that connection not being at events, not uh, out talking to people. And I myself, uh, I know you're out campaigning a lot, but I myself, I do need to go out to more events because every time, every time I go out, I have a great time. Uh, and every time I go out, I'm connecting and I'm finding somebody to do something with. Uh, I went over to L26 on Monday to a event for Lotus Consulting, and okay. uh, I don't think we I don't think we talk about this. She's a new member on Chicago's Black Business Network dot com, right. and she's offering a service um, that I thought would be very viable to the beauty salons in the community. Now, what she's offering, and she has experience in. And the young lady has a degree from Northwestern. She's a CPA. Uh, she has this consulting firm, and she has different divisions. She set up different divisions of her consulting firm, and one of them is to consult to salons. Well, what's okay. the, how she set up the program, and I'm trying to figure out how I can make this applicable to some other things that I want to do, like I'm not doing enough things. But um, what she is offering to beauty salons is, she will come in and consult uh, the salon owner. What she will do is they will sit down and they will look at the type of products that they sell. Uh-huh. She wants to assist salon owners in increasing the amount of retail sales in their salons. It's a missed opportunity for them. And comparing oh. it to salons uh, for other non-black people, they push products in their salons as they service their customers. What her mm-hmm. consulting firm is offering to do is come in and sit down with their salon owner, talk about the type of products that they use for their customers, and what she will do without them making an initial investment. She, she'll put them in a one-year contract, and I'm just going through some of this because it's a good program. Mm-hmm. But what she will do is she will consult with them. She will order that product for them. If they do not have shelving for that product, she will set up shelving. And it's not a product that she's selling. Or she, like, uh, if she was, it's not her line. 
okay? Mm-hmm. She consults within the line. She can order any wholesale line that they make a decision on that will fit their customer and their best style and what it is that they do. She will set up the shelving for that product. She will train their uh, cosmetologists. I call them hairdressers. You know I'm old school. She will train them to sell the products to the customer as you service them. Uh, Does she provide the products as well, or is she just consulting them how to uh, bring products in? She is providing the products. And what she does, they come back every two weeks and reshelf the product. Now, what they do and how they get paid is they get paid on the back end. They come in and check your inventory, how much product have you sold. We get 40% of it. You get the other percent of it, and we pay for the cost. That's how she is going to do it. She sets up the training program for them. She helps them evaluate. She helps them find uh, their niche in this product because they are missing an opportunity for retail. Yes, you are selling, uh, you are servicing, and you're doing hair, but you're also missing a vital part of the industry. I sit there and listen to her. I heard what she was saying. Of the industry by not doing this sales on these products because you haven't been in a beauty salon in a while, and I wear my hair short, and I go in every now and then. But you'll find in a lot of black salons the, the beauty products are dusty, they're not. They're just sitting over there, and nobody really buys them. They're just there for a little show. And she's going to come in and show them how to do this, and she's going to prove that she can show you how to do this by making the initial investment. And you pay her every two weeks or once a month on the product that is sold. And she was very to the point. She was very sharp, and she's very hard nosed about you must. Your people must learn how to sell, and in learning how to sell these products. They learn how to sell other services. You know, women get their hair done, their feet done. They learn how to sell the whole package. She teaches them how okay. to be salespeople, and that's something that beauty schools don't do. So, I'm going when I like I said, I went to the networking event, and I'm not. Um, I like to think that I'm creative. So as she was talking, I'm sitting there thinking, mm, this is something that is of value because it will. Teach someone if they can see the whole picture how to sustain their business and increase their business. That's what that's about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've done it before, and they've done it for non-blacks, and they're going to do it mm-hmm. for blacks in Chicago. Uh, okay. And they were asking what the, what their success rate was, and they talked about uh, one of the salons right there on Michigan Avenue, off of. Uh, Madison, I think she said, a huge uh, uh, salon over there, spa that they did, uh-huh. that they they, they uh, put through this program. So in doing so, I was able to connect with her. Um, also found another product that I could utilize on my site as a marketing tool because I'm going to, as you heard me say earlier in the show, uh, to call me for a marketing package because I am putting together a marketing package utilizing my site, South Street Journal. Uh, hopefully, uh, Wanda Muhammad and Renault Tatum on the, uh, Channel 21 and putting together some marketing packages for people to utilize. 
to enhance their business that, you know, will be reasonably priced for something that will make a difference. So I'm, I'm working on this marketing package, that marketing package right now. But one thing that came to me, and I approached her with it, and I thought of it as she was talking, I have uh, beauty salon owners on my site. Uh, we probably have some in Black Wall Street. And I've done conference calls before, so I invited her, uh, which she's going to be my test, to let me put together a conference call for you with the salon owners on my site and some salon owners around Chicago, and let's do a conference call and talk about what it is that you do and let them hear about this program. Since they don't have to make an initial investment, I do want them to hear and listen to this. So that's going to be one of the products in my marketing package. Very good, by very good. Not by not uh, by going to that seminar and being part of that and being out and being uh, open-minded, uh, and I'm just saying that to people because they have to, like I was talking to the lady in, in the bakery, and sometimes she feel like, I can't, I don't know if I can really afford to do that on Friday when I'm having the opening on the 7th. You almost cannot mm-hmm. afford not to do it. It's difficult. I know it's difficult. You might have to take a couple of pieces of those pastries out of that 7th and put them over here right. on the 5th. You see what I'm saying? Gotcha. But by That's being right. out there, you can connect. Uh, because I had, if I hadn't been there, I wouldn't have thought of that as a marketing tool for the people on my site. So that's one of the things I'm going to be utilizing and offering to the, uh, my members. Uh, I'm going to run a test with her offering to my members to set up conference calls because we have 688 people on Black on Chicago's Black Business Network now, right now. Very good. And, Very uh, good. Yes, we're growing. We're growing every day. Every day, somebody's stopping over there and um, saying hello and joining. And good. I want to have seven hundred by the end of October. So sure. there's a lot of things that can be done and will be done collaboratively. We can do that. Um, let's go. And that's just about going out and meeting people. And I say to people all the time, when I go to networking events, even if there's not a lot of people there, I find something there that works for me, okay? So we want you to come over on November the 5th to Black Wall Street's Welcome Reception, and uh, we want you to network. We want you to talk to people. That's why when we do the Let's Meet on the Street, that works very well. It works very well for me. <laughs> it yeah, works very well for so. there. And I think that it did. I think the last one that we had, had a couple of Wednesdays ago, as I looked at the people there and their reactions and, the, you know, uh, what they were sending out, I think that they were very connected and very interested as they were listening to each other because uh, it was kind of different. We did it kind of different. We sat down in the conference room, all over the conference room. It was full, and we sat there, and everybody listened to the other person tell about right. it. And it wasn't long, but it wasn't rushed tell about right. what they were doing and ask questions. Mm-hmm. So I think that format worked very well. Uh, I think they got a little bit more out of that, and I like that format, and I like to yeah, do that Yeah, I got format a lot again. of it my own self. That's for sure. You know, very much so. So it definitely helps that, uh, that, that interlude to getting to know, and matter of fact, pinpointing on who you know you want to make contact with, you know, because they make that introduction and uh, you know how to go right to it and get in line to 
meet and greet after we have that uh, roundtable type of uh, discussion on what everybody is doing and what everybody is about. So, yeah, uh, when are we going to have another one? Uh, that's in the plan. That's in the plan, and we could talk about that in a minute. You listen to Black Wall Street USA. We have a caller on the line from the six four six area code. I'm not sure, but we're gonna go to the phone lines. You're on the air with Black Wall Street USA with Ron Carter and Sonia Purdue. Welcome to the show. How you doing? This is okay. Uh, How are you? Uh, well, your, your name and where you calling from? This is Stephen Harris calling from New York. Okay. How you doing, Anthony? I'm all right. I was calling about the uh, the uh, Black Age today. You, you already talked. You already talked about that. The Black who? Black Age. Oh no. We're glad that you call in. Say your name again. N. Harris, correct? N. Stephen Harris. N. Stephen Harris. This yeah. is one of the uh, young men over from the Black Age Comic uh, Convention. This oh, weekend, okay. Ron. All right. Yeah, no, we're not passing you by. We're waiting for you. Come on in. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, we definitely had some uh, prelude conversation regarding artists. I have to tell you, have you been listening to them from the beginning, or you just kind of called in? I called in maybe about 15 minutes ago, or 10 minutes ago. Right. Well, we had some uh, earlier conversation about art, uh, uh, comic art, cartoonists, things of that nature. I have to give you a, uh, a forewarning that I'm an artist myself. Okay. That's no one. That's, that's, that's more of a uh, reassurance. <laughs> well, maybe. I'm a journalist, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what's happening? So you tell what type of art uh, artist are you? Are you a, a comic, or can you give us a little bit of what you do and how you do it and how you get, get involved in it? Okay, well, I specialize in, in comic books and storyboards, uh, storyboards mainly for TV commercials. Uh, but I got into comics. Uh, first, I was uh, taking a class outside. Well, I, I majored in illustration in, in college, and mm-hmm. I've always wanted to do, I always wanted to do comics. And uh, then I hooked up with someone through a, through a class outside of, outside of college, uh, a man named Dennis Cowan. Who, who he and a man named Michael Davis were part of the two, two of the four people that started that helped start Milestone Comics back in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then I, uh, you know, started doing comic books professionally. I thought, you know, I started getting jobs here and there after college. Uh, started doing uh, work for a comic book company called Dark Horse Comics and DC Comics, and I, uh, I was doing, you know, semi regular work. Throughout the '90s, with Marvel and DC Comics, oh, okay. and yes, so I, I did that regular series. I just, I, I did a, matter of fact, I did a series uh, for Motown. Motown did comics '95 for for about a couple oh. of years. Okay. Yeah, called through a, a, a imprint called Machine Works, mm-hmm. and I, I did a title called I, I did a title called The Crush, and then after that, I did some work for DC Comics uh, for a, a, a comic book called Aztec. The Ultimate Man, and matter of fact, one of the writers, one of the writers on that book, did the uh, did the movie. You missed the movie uh, Wanted. What's that movie again? Uh, Wanted. Wanted. I think I've, that that name sounds somewhat familiar. 
Yeah, with Angelina Jolie and Morgan Freeman were in it. It came out a couple of years ago. The, okay. the, guy, the guy who created that, the guy who created, the man who created that uh, story, I worked with uh, in '96, uh, doing a book called Aztec, and him and another writer called Grant Morrison. It was Grant Morrison and Mark Millar. Some of you, some right. of uh, definitely know those two guys. Uh, now, so then, when you say you are a, what's the difference when you you speak of? A comic and a storybook artist. Storyboards. Storyboards. Storyboard. Okay, what's the difference? Okay, comic books are you know you you're doing work for for uh, that's going going to a book and, and it's is for publication and for public viewing. All right. Uh, storyboard storyboards probably won't get a chance to be seen by the public unless you know they're on, they're on the artist's website or maybe collected in a book they may publish. They're pretty much a behind-the-scenes type of artwork uh, or pre-production artwork for uh, movies, for TV commercials, or even music videos, or even uh, okay. animation. And so mm-hmm. they're part of pre-production artwork, like sketches or uh, worked-up drawings that can have color to them as well. Mm-hmm. So, so are you more... Um, so I, I do realize and understand the difference that the uh, the comic is mainly for uh, public uh, ass, uh, assumption, and then mm-hmm. the storyboard is for the the template for a a movie uh, or a production per se. Yeah, what I did was I, I, well, the storyboards I've I've worked on were primarily for TV commercials, maybe products like. Uh, 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 an allergy drug, or Coca-Cola, or Samsung, or even beer commercials. So they're, they're now, there for do, the uh, director. They're there for the director or the company to view before they go to production for for a commercial. Mm-hmm. Now, who directs you to do that storyboard? Uh, the art director in an advertising agency, because usually there's like three, there's like two parties involved. There's a, there's a client, which is a, the 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 uh, the company from which the product is, is, is uh, born from, and they go to an advertising agency to to uh, to help them uh, come up with an idea for uh, the commercial for their product. So, that's so, their then, all right. so there is a, a, a real demand for storyboard artists. Well, yeah, but the, since, since the economy is taking a hit now, the, the story, the, the advertising industry has been really hit hard with the with the economy now. So it's, it's, they're, 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 it's a pretty much a slow business right now, and maybe a lot of them doing this stuff in house or they're piecing the work together themselves rather than hire artists, outside artists or freelance artists to do that. Mm-hmm. So did you um, did you know you was going into that field of storyboard, or did you see yourself going to comics or? How did you end up saying this is what I'm going to do, or is it basically just uh, uh, bringing some bread home that you did it? This is no, this is. I mean, I I've been drawing for a long time since I was in first second grade. I've been drawing, and it didn't okay. dawn me that I, that I could do this for a living, specifically comic books. Now I was doing comic books about uh, eight years before I got into storyboards because uh, I started I started realizing I need to branch out and diversify my um, uh, my work because uh, comics can, can come and go because in, in, in the freelance in the freelance industry or area your last job is your last job so uh, okay what do you mean by that your last job is your last job so 
when, what if, do you mean if, by if, that? Well, okay, uh, once I so if I get a job to do work on, right? That uh-huh. job that job lasts, and once that job is over, it's over. And I got to find some more work. It's not like okay. a, it's not like a, a nine to five job where you know you do, you're on a project, and then you may have some downtime, but you're still getting paid to the next project. Mm-hmm. So once well, that job is over, you, how do you actually? Um, 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 would you do just kind of put your name out there to say that you are storybook? It's like running your own. It's like running your own business. Where you, where you have to go on the clients. You have to promote yourself. Uh, so within your market to other companies, to people. Uh, so if I was so as far as the comic book market, I'm I'm promoting myself to other comic book companies. Uh, and within those comic book companies, I'm promoting myself to other editors, editors within the comic book companies. If I'm right. if, if I'm promoting my, if I'm promoting myself to uh, advertising, I'm going to advertising companies. And talking to art buyers and art directors within the company, to or, or showing them my work, and directing them to my website. Mm-hmm. Okay. And sending, and sending out emails every now and then to keep my name out there to them, so they know know they know I'm out there. And also, there's people. Sometimes people get maybe get maybe get an agent. They put their work into, into a source book that gets passed around in the in the industry through art art through art directors. And the art directors will look at the source book. For different illustrators they want for whatever project, whether it's a illustrator for a billboard or for a book cover or for storyboards. There's different kind of illustrators in the market. You know, illustrators for for illustrators, illustrators for storyboards, book covers, magazines, what have you. Mm-hmm. So then, when you are um, or for a comic book, sometimes you know you get these comic books such as uh, DC uh, Comics. Are they is it more like an in-house operation, or are they looking for uh, artists to do their storyline, or do they just have a staff of artists that continues to be doing these illustrations for these comics, or are they continuing to be looking for people to do it? Okay, the, the day of the in-house artist is gone by a long time ago. They may have in-house artists to do corrections, or touch us, but uh, artists, for the most part, that work for DC, Marvel, or the big companies are on a freelance basis. I mean, they could be anywhere in the country or outside the country, for that matter. They could be artists from South America doing work for them, mm-hmm. and they turn in their work, you know, by email, and turn it into companies. So they, they could, they artists, they work, they work, they're working with, working with them or working for them. Could be anywhere in the country, mm-hmm. or abroad. Right. Now, some of this art, I mean, with the uh, technology of computers, are the artwork still freelance or is some of it a little touch of computer illustration type of stuff now? Uh, a lot of this, even the the, 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 the touch-ups could be somewhat in-house. That could be part of the production staff. As far as the, mm-hmm. now, the, the, they, they could just, it's like, with comic books, a, a lot of times it could be an assembly assembly line of people working on one comic book. Mm. One person, one person is the writer, one person is the, the penciler, another person may ink the book, and put the black lines around it. Another person, mm. another person will color the book. Another mm. person will letter the book, mm. and then you have the editor putting it all together, mm. keeping it all, keep it all, keeping it all consistent. And and, mm-hmm. and and hopefully on time. Sometimes you know you have the, maybe the 
the so maybe one person may do all three of those things. You may, you may have one person writing, uh, penciling, and coloring the book. Like I do my own book. I have I have two books that I do. One's my own book, and one's a collaboration I'm doing with a friend of mine. And on the one book, on my own book, I'm the writer, artist, colorist, letterer, and editor for that book. Mm-hmm. So uh, okay. and then another book I'm just uh, the penciler. You know, but I put, help put the book. Put, I help put the book together, being being that I almost, I'm also a self publisher. So I put the book together and I send it out to a, I send it out to a printer and they print it up for me and I sell it at conventions. So then, if we look at the comic books uh, from the earlier discussion that we had, was that you know even as you kind of uh, you, you did give us some details behind the line. Behind, behind the lines on how a book is actually produced because sometimes people think that it's just one artist that's going through from uh, from uh, script to strip to page to page, and that's one artist. But that's not the case. You've got a production of people that's putting this one comic book together. Yeah, yeah. Usually, I mean, uh, and many times they'll have the credits on it, so many people know there's a, a team of people behind one comic book, or at least people that know you know, comic books. Uh, there's a writer, like I said, there's a writer, artist, colorist, and like I said, sometimes the artist may be a colorist also. But if you're working for a company, chances are uh, it'll be spread out because you know the companies have deadlines to hold to, and you know it takes time doing each of those things. Is there such a person that does everything? Is that yeah. practical now, or has it been like that, or? Some people do everything. Is just that they, they have a certain they may have they may have a certain way of working, but or then again they may since they since they, since they can command a, a larger paycheck, they may have other people helping them that don't, that they may not get the credit uh, on the book that you may you may, you may see the credit you may see the credit on the book. They so most people book. do have uh, when you see a comic book and it may be produced and written, they still have some type of assistance and help them put it together. Sometimes, some. I mean, I was assistant one time, uh, and I helped uh, Dennis Cowan uh, do. I did. I did some background work for him, so like he would do the figures. I would do some some of his backgrounds in the drawings. Uh, sometimes, sometimes artists have have assistants working for them. I, I've had I've had someone help me one time, but that was years ago. Usually, I do all the artwork myself. Uh, okay, now we was talking earlier about the the messages in comic books. Uh, I remember the name now is, and if you can recall, do you remember Archie Comics? Yeah, and I I was talking to the writer uh, yesterday. Oh, you was what? I was talking to the writer of Archie Comics yesterday. Oh, is that long gone? Is that in the past compared? No, Archie Archie is, is... is going on strong right now. Matter of fact, uh, an African American is writing is writing Archie comics right now. Oh. Mhm. Okay. His name is Al- his name is Alex Simmons, and he all he also runs a uh, he he started he started started and runs a co- uh, a kids comic comic convention here in New York City in the Bronx. Mhm. And he also uh, wrote 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 a comic book uh, hero named Blackjack about about a, a, a black mercenary. In the 1940s or 30s, uh, he wrote a character, yeah, the name Blackjack, that took place in the 1930s and 40s. Mm-hmm. So is the 
the graphical images of a lot of the comics is uh similar to the uh the uh, uh the playstations now where the slashing of the throats and the blood gushing out is that where comic books per se is have to go are they competing with the playstations or is it a market all by itself what what's happening with the uh, comic book industry as you see it now oh well as far as gore and comics, that's been there for a long time. That's been there for a while. Uh, I don't read. I only draw a lot of gore. I may draw action. I may, I may draw some violence, but I won't draw gore and you know, you know, some happy blood action. I won't. I won't do that. But uh, does it compete with the gaming? It, it's, it's it's like they're, they're like bleeding markets. You know, sometimes people in the gaming may be in the comics. People in the comics may be in the gaming. Uh, but gaming offers a really uh, uh, a more stimulating experience for the viewer than comics do. Uh, it's all there. It's all, it's all immediate, and it's interactive. They're involved with it. So gaming, de- gaming definitely holds a bigger market than comics. I mean, gaming's hold a bi- uh, command a larger market than the movies. Uh, more money comes in. Uh, uh, more money is more money is made by the gaming companies collectively than, than the movies. The movie industry, I've, I've heard. Oh wow. So gaming, Oh, wow. is it that? Is it that enticed that? Are you, let me hear that again. Are you saying that? The, yeah, gaming. Yeah, repeat yourself. <laughs> gaming industry makes more money collectively than the than the, than the movie industry. Uh, I'll check that, but that's what I've, I've come across. I've been told that a few times. Wow, that's uh, pretty interesting. Uh, no wonder yeah. uh, the commercials are on TV so often now, huh? Is that yeah. what it's all about, based on the amount of commercials? that uh, Naturally, I'm not into it, but uh, based on the commercials, sometimes I think I'm getting ready to see a preview to a uh, a movie or something to come out, and then it says it's, it's a game uh, uh, program. Yeah, yeah, gaming, gaming is big. Gaming is very big. So where is now the 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 visual artists or the freelance artists? Do they have any role in the in the gaming? Oh yeah, I've done some work. I've done some work for a game company. I did, I did some work for uh, the game company that did, that did the uh, uh, I'm gonna name out Grand Theft Auto. The company that does Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Uh, what part yeah. you do? Yeah, uh, I did some sketches for. I I, I did sketch for sketch for uh, Red Dead uh, a new game that came out with this in May called Red Dead Redemption. I did some concept art for it. And I just did sketches for them. So there's there's a place for visual artists. There's definitely a place for visual artists in the gaming industry. Uh, so yeah, yeah, there's definitely a place. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm trying to branch out into that area as well. Well, let me get nosy right quick if I can. Mm-hmm. How much money can a person make getting in there? What's the average income, or what is it? What is it all about? Uh, it, could, you know? it could vary. It could vary from you know, uh, depending. I I don't know the 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 staff what staff makes, but as a freelancer, you can make some money in the industry. I mean, from thirty to forty, fifty thousand dollars, maybe more. It depending, depending, it depends. It can go. It could be for from, one job. No, for oh, for one job, so if one job, no, no, it varies from job to job because depending depending on the workload, depending on the time you work on the job, 
it it just depends. Mm-hmm. Now, is there now, a? Now, when I've done now when I've, when I've done storyboards, I've made as much I made as much as up to six thousand dollars for one job. But that was a few years ago. That was for mm-hmm. and that job. That job maybe last may have lasted about a, uh, around a week. Mm-hmm. But they can, okay. they can if they get if they get me if they get me busy, I can make a I can make a decent amount of money. Wow, that's making more money than the guy that draw uh, Mona Lisa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, comparison to the to, to the value. I mean, if somebody drew the Mona Lisa today, they wouldn't get no six thousand dollars right away for it. Oh uh, no, they no probably not. Maybe not because I know, but some some depending on the fine artist, the fine artist makes a piece. Some people, some art buyers are very interested in their in their work. They can make you know. A few thousand dollars on on their pieces. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then, is there a now is your illustrations of uh, of storyboards and uh, comics? Do you get into the fine art as well, or is that just where you are with the? Uh, uh, the comic illustrations, or do you also do uh, fine art such as landscape, uh, portrait, no, figure drawing? No. no, I mean that's in my work, but I don't do. I'm not in the fine art market. I know some some artists who've done commercial work or who or into commercial art that do fine art as well. I mean they they they, they do shows on a regular basis. They display their work and do galleries. Uh, I'm not one of them. I've, I've done a couple gallery shows, but it's been it's been the work that's been hung has been work I've done professionally or in, in commercial commercial art mm-hmm. field. Mm-hmm. So I've done I've done a, I've done a, a gallery show uh, for the brother of Russell of, of Russell Simmons, Danny, his name is Danny Simmons, uh, in, at the Rush Arts Gallery back in 2003, and we I was mm-hmm. part of a. a that did the okay. um, that did the that had shoes had had work in that show and recently I just did I was part of a, a gallery show for my for the school I was I, I'm an alumni to uh, called Squeezers Large uh, they did a, a thing for graphic novelists graphic novel artists and uh, they had a show this um, this last week Thursday mm-hmm. this is so the Black Youth Convention. So since you uh, indicated that you've been doing uh, art since you was a youngster, so to speak, mm-hmm. yeah, there was uh, being a, a more of a fine uh, a fine art uh, artist. Uh, people make the statement now and then, "Wow, that you're gifted." Do you have those type of comments? Well, what kind of comment? Uh, people will make the comments, you know, to artists that you are gifted. Right. Do you recall comments like that made to you by oh, people, people reviewing your work? Yeah, I remember people saying, you know, he's, ta- he's, he's talented, he's, oh, he's always drawing. And and so uh, people always make those comments. And, you know, just plus this, uh, I have people in my family who can draw. I'm, I'm, I think I'm the first one that's, that's done it professionally. Professionally. I have an mm-hmm. uncle that draws a lot, that, that, that does really wonderful drawings. Um, my grandmother used to do that. She just passed away a few years ago. So did uh, you? Are you gifted or you inherited? <laughs> I I, guess I would call a little bit of both. I call it both because 
and this plus is this plus plus is a skill level I had to attain on top of my uh, talent or gift, as you, so to speak. Because um, talent can only get you so far. Talent for me, and maybe for most people, maybe most people may, may draw when they're inspired to draw. Sometimes I don't have that luxury. I mean, if I have a job, I have to draw. I have to draw to get it done, whether I want to or not. And I have to have a certain skill level to to uh, to draw and to construct a composition, whether I'm in the mood to or not. And then maybe once I get in the flow of drawing, I'll, I'll probably be more in the mood to draw or more more inspired to draw. You follow? Mm-hmm. You, you, I mean, that right so in that? When, in that case, then so um, you are inspired to get to get paid. Uh, no, that's not, that's not that's not no that's like entire thing. Cause I I mean when when I'm doing my when I'm doing my creator own book I'm not getting paid immediately and when I do get paid it's very it's a very small amount compared to what I'll get paid from a company. I'm doing it for the lo- I'm doing this for the love of it and for for the for the uh, for the desire to get different images of our people out in the market. Uh, but what I'm saying is when I when I do have a job I have to. Uh, I have to draw whether I'm inspired to or not. I have to get it done on. I have to get it done on time, and done professionally, and done and, and done professionally. Make it look clean and 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 ready, and to and and based on. Uh, I have to draw it. I'm draw it based on what the what the client wants. Do you uh, work within a a your own time frame, or do you work within? the time frame that your client says I need this done or do you set some prior uh, uh some priority priority on if you can meet your client's demand or you do you say well I can't draw it within 2 days I can draw it in a week or do you adjust it's yourself a bit, or, it's, a, yeah, it's a little bit of both sometimes a client may need it tomorrow or at the end of the day and they ask me if I can do it, and I'll say, now I'll, I'll tell them whether, whether I can do it or not. Or oh, they may ask me. Do you do me it how based I'm, on your spirit, or do you do it based on your priority? I do it based on if I if I based I do it based on if I can do it in the time they give me. Okay. If they, if they, if, if, if they say they need it by a certain not, and they ask if I can do that, I'll think about it. And I'll get back to him, what, and I'll get back to him and say, tell him honestly, as, as, as honestly as I can, uh, if I can get a, if I can do it by that time period. Sometimes they, sometimes the client may say, I want this, this done. How long will it take you? And I'll tell them how long it will take, based on, not based on when it would take, how long it would take me to do that particular job, but based on what else is going on in my life and in my schedule when I can get that job for them. I can get a job for them. Mm-hmm. So, so um, I may have other things going on at the time. I may have other jobs pending, or another job. I say I can get. Uh, I, I, I say I can get this to you at the end of next week, or in two weeks, or yeah, or whatever time time frame I, can, I feel I can do that in. Mm-hmm. So, upon someone you looking at a um, mm, uh, a twelve year old. Doing mm-hmm. some artwork, can you look at that twelve-year-old and determine where they should take their art or what they should do with their art? 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because some, if they're drawing, if they're twelve, if the twelve-year-old is drawing something they see on TV, maybe like a cartoon they see on TV. Mm-hmm. I'll probably think they 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 probably want to do. I uh, asked them, are they interested in comics or animation or or uh, or gaming? Doing designs, mm-hmm. character designs, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people may have an inclination doing to doing comics. Comics, comics is a hard thing to do because uh, comics involves not just drawing pretty pictures, not just drawing pretty pictures. It involves storytelling. Mm-hmm. And storytelling, you'll know how how complex and typical storytelling can be until you do it. Because excuse me, because it involves it involves uh, uh, consistency. Join the characters similar uh, from panel to panel. It involved, and it can involve drawing anything and everything. Because during mm-hmm. one course of story, you can have a character walking down the street, walking into an apartment, walking into a classroom, walking to the bedroom, and you got to draw the elements in those rooms: bookshelves, lampposts, lamps, mm-hmm. sofa, TV. All right. So, could you? Um Look at that twelve-year-old and determine you should be a cartoonist or a comic book artist. I ask that twelve-year-old what they want to draw, what the, what, what's uh, fun for them to do, mm-hmm. okay. or what they want to do because this is something you have to have a love for and a desire to do it because it's, 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 you're not going to hold, you're not going to have traditional hours doing this stuff. You're going to be, you know, you're going to if you're going to get into this field. You're gonna to have to have to drive. You're gonna to have to have a drive for it, uh, a patience for it, and it's not all drawing. A lot of it is uh, something artists have trouble with. And that's being, you know, getting out there and being social and and, and selling yourself, mm-hmm. uh, okay. and, and getting out there and and selling yourself and marketing yourself and seeing what, uh, based on what you like to do, what crowd will be drawn to what you 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 do. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm going to uh, uh, have to uh, might have to get into some artwork myself today. Uh, oh, yeah. And based on your inspiration of what you're saying, so you're calling from uh, what what part of New York are you calling from? I'm calling from Brooklyn, New York, Bushwick, Brooklyn. Okay. Uh, now, did you go to school for the art, or is it something that? You just developed on your own, or you just got enhanced from your relatives? Uh, both, both. Uh, I, I I hired Amy to draw, so I say it's inherited to some extent. Uh, then, uh, in my high school, I went to. Uh, I, no, I, I grew up in New Jersey. I had a high school that bragged about having the most art classes on the East Coast for a public high school, and I, I found that out during my senior year in high school. I mean, it blew, oh. it blew me away. It blew me away when I found out because it had it had not only a drawing class, it had drawing one and two, painting one and two, a lettering class, a photography class. It had airbrush, uh, and it had uh, an advertising uh, advertising art class, which it didn't offer during my senior year, but offered it before my senior year and after my senior year. So I didn't take the advertising art class, but I had all those. Classes. So you had an, uh, a visual art high school, and you did not know it. No, 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 no. It was it was a public high school. I know, but you, a, you did not realize was that program no, it, classes it, or it just so happens to happen. No, I knew I had those classes, and I always wanted to take some of those classes during the whole time I was in school. But I did mm-hmm. I did not know it, it 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 had the most art classes for a public high school on the East Coast 
on the East Coast. Right, but what I'm asking, was that program in the curriculum of that school, or it just so happens that if you know if it just developed in that, or was that the curriculum that the uh, faculty and the school administrators had a goal to have that type of visual art type of um, class? I don't know. It was they were they were they were elective, so they, you chose if you chose. So you had to take your required courses, and you, if you had room, if you have room left over, then you could choose those classes to take. Mm-hmm. So then, so, so 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 for instance, if you if you were required to have a math, science, history, and gym, and maybe a language and something else, or and I guess in science as well, if you had some room, you could take an art class. So what happened was I took I, I had all my my requirements done by my junior year, and so in my senior year, all I had only only requirement I had was English and gym. Mm-hmm. Now, I wasn't, and I knew I wasn't going to a college that, that, that required math or language, so I just filled my schedule up with those art classes. So in my senior year, all I had was English and gym as far as requirements, and then I filled up with drawing, painting, uh, lettering, yeah. photography, mm-hmm. and airbrushing. Right. So how long have you been involved and participated in the, um, in the convention? The Black Age Convention is my second year. Okay. I've been, How I've long have you been aware of it? I've been aware of it for about maybe three or four years now. Uh, the first one I went to was the one in Philadelphia. Okay. In 2002, mm-hmm. when it started. It started in 2002. That was my first time going to a black comic convention. And that was, in that, and by that time, by that time, Black Age was already in, I guess, the 10th year or, or something like that. It was always, or at least been around for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, nine years. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I mean, Mr. Stevens, I definitely um, uh, thank you for coming on to Chicago's Black Business Network. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess one little part of it is that this is Chicago's Black Business Network along with Black Wall Street Chicago, which is a business organization. Are you familiar with Black Wall Street or the concept? Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, I just got the video in the mail for what happened in Oklahoma City those years ago. Right, right. You know what? Give you a little concept. You probably need to come up with a visualization of Black Wall Street Chicago. I don't know how you can put your creative thoughts (laughs) in with your – what are you, left-handed or right-handed? I'm left-handed. There you go. I thought so. Most of us good artists are left-handed. Gotcha. (laughs) But if you cannot see, I'm an artist myself, and I cannot even phantom to try to have some illustration regarding Black Wall Street. But in your spare time, when it hits you in your brain and you probably doing something and you say, that guy Ron Carter said, do some illustration regarding Black Wall Street. I don't know how you're going to get paid for it yet. (laughs) However... Uh, keep that in your brain to say what type of illustration after you view. Have you seen the uh, documentary yet, or you viewed it? Not yet. No, not yet. Not yet. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Uh, well, I, it's pretty. I, I, it's pretty deep. I don't know how you can be creative with some illustration of uh, uh, a drawing for it, but somebody's gonna have to do it. So maybe you're gonna have to do it if. I don't do it because I'm an artist too, but I'm not that type of artist. I'm, mm. So, but again, <laughs> want to thank you for being a part of 
Chicago's Black uh, Wall Street, I'm sorry, Chicago's Black Business Network and Black Wall Street, and uh, I want you to continue to listen to us and what we're doing, and I'm pretty sure I've learned a lot, even being an artist, from you. Okay. And I'm pretty sure our other uh, listeners have learned a lot, too, with that, ooh, I guess sometimes we take advantage of art and all the things that's behind it when sometimes it seems so simple. So this is the uh, the 13th convention of the uh, uh, of that convention. But again, yeah. I want to uh, thank you for being a part of our program today. And thank you. Um, yes, we have a meeting each Thursday here at the office, um, and I'm going to maybe bring it to our people next week about you and about this illustration that I put on your head. So All right. with that, that in I mind, was, thanks again. Thank you. And one, I want to say one other thing. I was, in, I was in Chicago this weekend. I was in last year. I had a great time in Chicago. And the friends okay. I was with, that the friends I was with, the L.A. Banks and my friend uh, LA, uh, Eric Badlin, who was also a professional, uh, professional comic book uh, illustrator, uh, they would love Graham popcorn over there. Oh, all right, very you know, good. The 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 the, the uh, butter and the cheese, cheese and caramel graham uh, popcorn. You ought to try some popcorn with hot sauce and butter. You ever <laughs> try that yet? <laughs> yes, I got That's a Chicago stuff. favorite. You got to get him I, to that. You, uh, I assume you haven't tried it yet. No, I I tried and I I had the cheese, I had the cheese and, and caramel. It was pretty good, but I got to stay away from that. That 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 give me so much. With hot sauce and butter. Have you tried that, Sonia? And <laughs> butter. No. Yes, I have. Uh, I have. You a have. There you go. There you go. Yes, I have. <laughs> well, thanks again, and um, uh, keep listening to us. So, uh, Sonia, where we at? Did I give you enough time? You gave me enough time. Thank you so much for joining us. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA. Want to just remind everyone. You listen to Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, and uh, editor and publisher of South Street Journal, and candidate for Alderman for the 17th Ward. I'm Sonia Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network.com, author of Black America, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions. I need a new cover, too. <laughs> Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions. I'm putting in my Yeah, you do. Too. I do need a new cover. <laughs> you better talk to Mr. Yes, you better talk to him. Mr. Harris, I better talk to him. Better talk to him. I do need a cover. I need something. Oh wow! And the back. book, the book is great. Uh, tough questions. If you can come up with an illustration for tough questions, man, you got it. Now I should oh, be yeah. doing it myself, but you better touch bases <laughs> with her. She got a dynamite book. She just needs that illustration to make it pop. Okay, you I have my email address, right? You have yes, my email address, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. I see. I see your book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I All will right. see your book. And thank you so much for joining us. And we'll be we'll be talking again. All right. Thank you. You have you have a great evening. And uh, Ron, we just want to remind everyone uh, the welcome reception is November the fifth. That's a Friday, two weeks from now. At uh, 449 East 35th Street, we had a great reception uh, in August, and uh, we look forward to having a, another great reception in a couple of weeks. Ryan, did you have some closing remarks? 
Well, we definitely want to have people here for the uh, the event. Uh, we are focusing a lot on our Black Wall Street districts. We want to help those districts to have a little extra ching-ching by the end of the year that we are promoting these Black Wall Street districts here in Chicago and our people from around the country. If you don't have a Black Wall Street district in your city, let's touch bases and see what we need to do because the the year 2040 is not far from here, and when the year 2040 gets here, we want to make sure that the black community have a stable ground in the future for our children that they can be able to enjoy all the economic benefits that we have to offer. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to Black Wall Street USA. We'll be right back here next Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Our call number is 347-326-9477 for all of you listeners. And people, why are you calling me? <laughs> They're calling me on my phone right now instead of calling me on the show. Y'all confused. you confused. <laughs> but we look forward to calling to the show next week, 7 to 9 p.m., if you want to talk to me. Thank you so much for being a part of all that we do to sustain and increase black businesses. We'll talk to you next week. Ron, have a good evening. Do the same, Sonia. Good night.